Chapter Nine of Mary Louise by L. Frank Baum, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Chapter Nine, Officer O'Gorman. Mary Louise returned to her room and sat down to consider the best way out of her dilemma. The detective's friendliness, so frankly expressed, pleased her in a way. Yet she realized his vigilance would not be relaxed, and that he was still determined, through her, to discover where Grandpa Jim was hidden. An uncomfortable degree of danger had already been incurred by her unconsciously leading the officer to Dorfield. He knew that the man he was seeking was either in this city or its immediate neighborhood. But unless she led him to the exact spot, to the dwelling of the Canons, it would take even this clever detective some time to locate the refugee. Before then, Mary Louise hoped to be able to warn Grandpa Jim of his danger. That would prevent her from rejoining him and her mother, but it would also save him from arrest. Glancing around her comfortable room, she saw a telephone on the wall. Beside it, on a hook, hung a book containing the addresses of the subscribers. She opened the book and, glancing down its columns, found Cannot, Peter, twelve sixteen Oak Street, Blue one four seven. Why hadn't she thought of this simple method of communication before? It would be quite easy to call Mr. Cannot and tell him where she was and have him warn Grandpa Jim that a detective was searching for him. She went to the telephone and took down the receiver. Office cried a sharp voice. What number do you want? Mary Louise hesitated. Then she hung up the receiver without reply. It occurred to her that the hotel office was a public place and that the telephone girl would be likely to yell out the number for all to overhear. To satisfy herself on this point, she went downstairs in the elevator and purchased a magazine at the newsstand. The telephone desk was nearby, and Mary Louise could hear the girl calling the numbers and responding to calls. While not six feet from her desk sat a man whose person was nearly covered by a spread newspaper, which he appeared to be reading, but Mary Louise knew him by his striped trousers and straightway congratulated herself on her caution. Undoubtedly, the detective had figured on her telephoning, and she had nearly fallen into the trap. Back to her room she went, resolved to make no further move till morning. The day had been a hard one for the girl, mentally and physically. And at this moment she felt herself hopelessly involved in a snare from which she could see no means of escape. She read a little in her magazine to quiet her nerves, and then went to bed and fell asleep. At daybreak, Mary Louise wakened to wonder if she had done right in running away from Miss Stern's school. Grandpa Jim had placed her there because he did not wish to take her with him when he left Beverly, and now she had come to him without his consent, and in doing so had perhaps delivered him into the hands of his enemies. Poor Grandpa Jim. She would never cease to reproach herself if she became responsible for his ruin. As she lay in bed, thinking in this vein, she allowed herself to wonder, for the first time, why her dear grandfather was being persecuted by the officers of the law, by the government of the United States, indeed, which should be just and merciful to all its people. Of course, he was innocent of any wrongdoing. Grandpa Jim would never do anything to injure a human being, for he was goodness itself, and had taught her to honor truth and righteousness ever since she could remember. Never for a moment would she doubt him, but it was curious when she came to reflect on it that he would run away from his enemies instead of facing them bravely. For many years he had hidden himself, first in one place and then in another, and at the first warning of discovery or pursuit would disappear and seek a new hiding place. For she now realized, in the light of her recent knowledge, that for many years Grandpa Jim had been a fugitive from the law, and that for some unknown reason he dared not face his accusers. Some people might consider this an evidence of guilt, but Mary Louise and Grandpa Jim had been close comrades for two years, and deep in her heart was the unalterable conviction that his very nature would revolt against crime of any sort. 
Moreover, always a strong argument in her mind, her mother had steadfastly believed in her grandfather, and had devoted herself to him to the exclusion of all else in her life, even neglecting her own daughter to serve her father. Mama B. loved her, she well knew, yet Mary Louise had never even enjoyed the same affectionate intercourse with her mother that she had with her grandfather, for Mama B.'s whole life seemed to center around the old colonel. This unusual devotion was proof enough to Mary Louise that her grandfather was innocent, but it did not untangle the maze. Looking back over her past life, she could recall the many sudden changes of residence due to Colonel Weatherby's desire to escape apprehension by the authorities. They seemed to date from the time they had left that big city house, where the child had an especial nurse and there were lots of servants, and where her beautiful mother used to bend over her with a good-night kiss, while arrayed in dainty ball costumes sparkling with jewels. Mary Louise tried to remember her father, but could not, although she had been told that he had died in that very house. She remembered Grandpa Jim in those days. However, only he was too busy to pay much attention to her. Let's see, was he called Colonel Weatherby in those days? She could not recollect. That name did not become familiar to her till long afterwards. Always he had been just Grandpa Jim to her. Yet that dreadful officer of the law who had questioned her in Beverly had called him Hathaway, James J. Hathaway. How absurd! But where had she heard the name of Hathaway before? She puzzled her brain to remember it. Did it belong to any of her schoolgirl friends? Or was it— With a sudden thought she sprang from her bed and took her watch from the dresser. It was an old watch, given her by Mama B. on the girl's twelfth birthday, while she was living with the Connaughts, and her mother had bidden her to treasure it, because it had belonged to her when she was a girl of Mary Louise's age. The watch was stem-winding and had a closed case, the back lid of which had seldom been opened because it fitted very tightly. But now Mary Louise pried it open with a hat-pin and carried it to the light. On the inside of the gold case the following words were engraved, Beatrice Hathaway, from her loving father. Mary Louise stared at this inscription for a long while. For the first time ugly doubts began to creep into her heart. The officer was right when he said that James Hathaway was masquerading under the false name of Colonel Weatherby. Grandpa Jim had never even told Mary Louise that his real name was Hathaway. Mama B. had never told her either. With a deep sigh she snapped the case of the watch in place and then began to dress. It was still too early for breakfast when she had finished her toilette, so she sat by the open window of her room, looking down into the street, and tried to solve the mystery of Grandpa Jim. Better thoughts came to her, inspiring her with new courage. Her grandfather had changed his name to enable him the more easily to escape observation, for it was James Hathaway who was accused, not Colonel James Weatherby. It was difficult, however, for the girl to familiarize herself with the idea that Grandpa Jim was really James Hathaway. Still, if her mother's name before her marriage was indeed Beatrice Hathaway, as the watch proved, then there was no question but her grandfather's name was also Hathaway. He had changed it for a purpose, and she must not question the honesty of that purpose, however black the case looked against her beloved Grandpa Jim. The discovery, nevertheless, only added to the mystery of the whole affair, which she realized her inability to cope with. Grouping the facts with which she was familiar into regular order, her information was limited as follows. Once Grandpa Jim was rich and prosperous, and was named Hathaway. He had many friends and lived in a handsome city house. Suddenly he left everything and ran away, changing his name to that of Weatherby. He was afraid, for some unknown reason, of being arrested, and whenever discovery threatened his retreat he would run away again. In this manner he had maintained his liberty for nine years, yet to-day the officers of the law seemed as anxious to find him as at first.
To sum up, Grandpa Jim was accused of a crime so important that it could not be condoned, and only his cleverness in evading arrest had saved him from prison. That would look pretty black to a stranger, and it made even Mary Louise feel very uncomfortable and oppressed. But against the accusation, the girl placed these facts, better known to her than the others. Grandpa Jim was a good man, kind and honest. Since she had known him, his life had been blameless. Mama B, who knew him best of all, never faltered in her devotion to him. He was incapable of doing an evil deed. He abhorred falsehood. He insisted on defending the rights of his fellow men. Therefore, in spite of any evidence against him, Mary Louise believed in his innocence. Having settled this belief firmly in her mind and heart, the girl felt a distinct sense of relief. She would doubt no more. She would not try in the future to solve a mystery that was beyond her comprehension. Her one duty was to maintain an unfaltering faith. At seven o'clock she went to the breakfast room, to which but two or three other guests of the hotel had preceded her, and in a few minutes Detective O'Gorman entered and seated himself at a table near her. He bowed very respectfully as he caught her eye, and she returned the salutation, uneasy at the man's presence, but feeling no especial antagonism toward him. As he had said, he was but doing his duty. O'Gorman finished his breakfast before Mary Louise did, after which, rising from his chair, he came toward her table and asked quietly, "'May I sit at your table a moment, Miss Burroughs?' She neither consented nor refused, being taken by surprise, but O'Gorman sat down without requiring an answer. "'I wish to tell you,' he began, "'that my unpleasant espionage of you is ended. It will be needless for me to embarrass or annoy you any longer.' "'Indeed?' "'Yes, aren't you glad?' with a smile at her astonished expression." You see, I've been busy investigating while you slept. I've visited the local police station and various other places. I am satisfied that Mr. Hathaway, or Mr. Weatherby as he calls himself, is not in Dorfield and has never located here. Once again the man has baffled the entire force of our department. I am now confident that your coming to this town was not to meet your grandfather, but to seek refuge with other friends, and so I have been causing you all this bother and vexation for nothing. She looked at him in amazement. I'm going to ask you to forgive me, he went on, and unless I misjudge your nature, you're not going to bear any grudge against me. They sent me to Beverly to watch you, and for a time that was a lazy man's job. When you sold some of your jewelry for a hundred dollars, however, I knew there would be something doing. You were not very happy at your school, I knew, and my first thought was that you merely intended to run away, anywhere to escape the persecution of those heartless girls. But you bought a ticket for Dorfield, a faraway town, so I at once decided— wrongly, I admit, that you knew where Hathaway was and intended going to him. So I came with you, to find he is not here. He has never been here. Hathaway is too distinguished a personage, in appearance, to escape the eye of the local police. So I am about to set you free, my girl, and to return immediately to my headquarters in Washington. She had followed his speech eagerly and with a feeling of keen disappointment at his report that her grandfather and her mother were not in Dorfield. Could it be true? Officer O'Gorman took a card from his pocket-book and laid it beside her plate. "'My dear child,' said he in a gentle tone, "'I fear your life is destined to be one of trials and perplexities, if not of dreary heartaches. I have watched over you and studied your character for longer than you know, and have found much in your make-up that is interesting and admirable. You remind me a good deal of my own Josie, as good and clever a girl as ever lived. So I am going to ask you to consider me your friend.' Keep this card, and if ever you get into serious difficulty, I want you to wire me to come and help you. 
If I should happen, at the time, to have duties to prevent my coming, I will send some other reliable person to your assistance. Will you promise to do this? Thank you, Mr. O'Gorman, she said. I—I—your kindness embarrasses me. Don't allow it to do that. A detective is a man, you know, much like other men, and I have always held that the better man he is, the better detective he is sure to prove. I'm obliged to do disagreeable things at times in the fulfillment of my duty, but I try to spare even the most hardened criminals as much as possible. So why shouldn't I be kind to a helpless, unfortunate girl? Am I that? she asked. Perhaps not. But I fear your grandfather's fate is destined to cause you unhappiness. You seem fond of him. He is the best man in all the world. O'Gorman looked at the tablecloth rather than to meet her eyes. So I will now say good-bye, Miss Burroughs, and— I wish you the happiness you deserve. You're just as good a girl as my Josie is. With this he rose to his feet and bowed again. He was a little man, and he had a fat nose, but Mary Louise could not help liking him. She was still afraid of the detective, however, and when he had left the dining-room she asked herself if his story could be true, if Grandpa Jim was not in Dorfield, if he had never even come to the town, as O'Gorman had stated. The Conants would know that, of course, and if the detective went away, she would be free to go to the Conants for information. She would find shelter, at least, with these old friends. As she passed from the dining-room into the hotel lobby, Mr. O'Gorman was paying his bill and bidding the clerk farewell. He had no baggage, except such as he might carry in his pocket, but he entered a bus that stood outside and was driven away with the final doff of his hat to the watching girl. Mary Louise decided in the instant what to do. Mr. Peter Conant was a lawyer, and had an office in one of the big buildings downtown. She remembered that he always made a point of being in his office at eight o'clock in the morning, and it was nearly eight now. She would visit Mr. Conant in his office, for this could not possibly endanger the safety of Grandpa Jim, in case the detective's story proved false, or if an attempt had been made to deceive her. The man had seemed sincere, and for the time being he had actually gone away, but she was suspicious of detectives. She ran upstairs for her coat and hat, and at once left the hotel. She knew the way to Peter Conant's office, and walked rapidly toward it. End of chapter 9. Read by Sibella Denton. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.